All right. Good evening. How are we doing? Awesome. How many of you consider Thursdays your pseudo Friday and so tomorrow you're just going to show up to work and it's going to be awesome? No? We like to joke that Thursday nights are like our Friday nights here. We stay out late because honestly, I, I've seen it happen, at least in the places that I work. If you come, they're normally pretty happy with you on Fridays. You just have to show up. So, so please stay, hang out with us. We're so happy that you guys are with us tonight. We are in a new series called Native, okay? And this series uh, was born out of the idea that lots of us or some of us were born here. How many of you were born in Colorado? That's a lot of you. How many of you were not born here? Oh, that's a lot of you too. All right, all right, all right. So here's the thing. (laughs) Awesome. Here's the thing. All right. Us natives, okay, I'm going to make fun of myself for a little bit. Us natives are a little bit weird. Um, And here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. We are a little bit possessive of our state. When it comes to how we feel about our state, we're like, we were born here, and so we have stock options in the state. And anybody that was not born here, like, you're scrubs. You know, like, that's how, that's how we feel. And it's true. And don't act like you don't, you don't talk like this. Because here's what we do as natives. I'm making fun of all of us, all right? There will be, we will be in our cars, and there will be traffic. And what do we do? We're like, oh, you know what this is. This is all those people from California right now. <laughs> right? It's true. You show up at the DMV, okay? It is not the Californians' fault, but you show up at the DMV, and, you know, it's four and a half hours to get your license, and then they, they, like, they go on three-hour lunch breaks, and you're like, I don't understand why I'm still waiting here. And they finally get to you, and you're like, I know why I waited so long. It's the Texans. That's why. That's why it took so long. You know, and it, a couple years back, pot got legalized, which honestly was like, I, I don't know how you guys felt, but I was shocked. I just didn't believe that our state was kind of in, in that place. And, you know, and so we blame, who do we, the Californians, right? We're just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but here's the, here's the point. Here's the point that I'm uh, trying to make, or uh, the, the idea that I'm trying to make is that there's a way that Coloradans feel towards their state, but there's also... This opposite side, where Coloradans, sometimes more often than not, we don't always take advantage of what we have here in Colorado. We don't always take advantage of the mountains and of the ski trails and of the hiking and of the exploring. And you talk to people from other states, uh, for those of you who weren't born here, you talk to people from Kansas, you talk to people from Texas, you talk to people and they cannot wait to get out and to explore. And they've got their hiking gear and they've got their climbing gear and they've got their new snowboards and they are getting out into the mountains and exploring. And for us natives, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, sometimes we forget how beautiful of a place that we live and we forget what such an awesome location that we live in for example a a friend of mine that I went to college with her name was Tammy and we were exiting we were exiting a uh, a supermarket at one point this was in Colorado we were going to college in Colorado and we get out and I've got my milk and my bags of groceries and we're leaving and she just kind of stops and pauses and looks off in the distance and what I had failed to see was there was this gorgeous sunset going down off in the distance and she looked at me and she goes you just just you just take it for granted and I said I like what like 
like my milk. Like I don't understand what I'm taking. And all of a sudden I looked and I saw this gorgeous pink sunset in the mountains. And, and for you guys here and for me, us people that have lived here our whole lives, sometimes we forget that the mountains are even there and even more so we forget to explore them. And in the same way, there's a lot of us in the room who have grown up being Christians. We maybe have been around Christianity since the time we were born. Or we've been around Christianity for a long, long time. And we will get to a point in our walk where all of a sudden we forget to explore. We forget to explore and to see the fact and the reality that there's so much more for us. And so this entire series called Native, that's what this is about. Because for us that have gone to church for a long time, for us that have been involved for church for a long time, all of a sudden we can show up at church and it's like going through the motions. Do you know what I'm talking about? And Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 13. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is the fulfilled prophecy of Isaiah. You will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They close their eyes. Other, um, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I, in turn, would heal them. Do you ever feel like this? If you don't feel like this, you might have felt like this a month ago. You might feel like this a month from now where you show up at church and it is going through the motions and you high five the same five people and you sit in the same seat that you always sit in and then you look at worship and you see the worship and all of a sudden you're looking at the girl in front of you and you're like oh I like her hat oh he's got some nice pants and then we open up our bibles and we open up our Bibles to read, and, and, you know, it kind of feels like this obligation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you crack it open, and it feels like an obligation to you, and you read some verses, but it's just kind of going in one ear and out the other. And you listen to sermons, and you come, and you hear, but you kind of play this game in your mind because you're, like, listening to Sean, or you're listening to a podcast, or you're listening to, you know, somebody um, online, or you're listening to me or Doug or someone, and all of a sudden it's a game. It's like, oh, you're in Hebrews 12. Okay, I've heard that. Oh, Jeremiah 29, 11. God has good plans for me. I have a hope and a future. Tell that to my boss at Taco Bell. You know, like... You feel like you have heard it all. And we see, but we do not see. And we hear, but we do not hear. We forget that God has so many more movements and so much more majesty for us to see. And this entire series is about just that. It's about reigniting and and going to God and saying, there is so much more for us to explore with you. And so what I thought we would talk about for the next couple of minutes, for the next 20, 25 minutes, is I thought we would talk about the joy of our salvation. The joy of our salvation, okay? And so before we get into it, let's invite God to be here. Um, Bow our heads and say, Jesus, thank you so much for tonight, for every single individual that walked in here. 
I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to work, God, that we would open up our hearts, that you would do a deep work within our hearts to renew us back to you, God. Um, and not just that, but people that work here, God, the people, the, the people that serve here, the interns, God, the tech booth, God, that we would be renewed towards you, that coming to church would not be a job, that doing ministry would not be a job, that pursuing you would not be a range of um, calloused motions, God, but that we would see your face. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so in college, I had an awesome friend named Jen, and she was a movie buff. How many movie buffs we got in here? She loved movies. She, even more than that, she loved Disney movies. Do we have any Disney buffs in here? Okay. Yeah, I hear you. You're like, I'm 25, but I'm going as Elsa to Halloween. Right? And when Disney bought Star Wars, like most of the Star Wars people across the nation were weeping, but us Disney people were like, yes. And may Tinkerbell square off with Yoda in Jesus' name. You know, like... Like, Disney people are crazy. And I had a girlfriend named Jen, and she was nuts. She was absolutely nuts for Disney, okay? And so after college, what she decided to do, her dream was to go and work for them, and that's what she did. She moved down to Orlando, and she started working for Walt Disney World, all right? And it was just her dream come true. So I go, and I say it's about nine months into her job, and we're both graduated. I've got a job. It's not as cool. I'm like waiting tables. And so I'm like, I'm going to come see you because this job is terrible. So let's go hang out with you. And I fly down to Florida and I visit her. And what I thought was so interesting was she was like, I'm just going to take you everywhere. I'm going to take you to all the parks and we're just going to, we're just going to go. We're going to see everything. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you've already probably seen all this, Jen. And she goes, okay, let's start at Epcot. And I'll never forget. She was like, if you stand right here on this ledge, let me take your picture. Okay. And she stood back, took my picture and she goes, okay, now take mine. And I was like, Okay, like she's worked here for nine months, and I was like, okay, I'll take yours. And uh, we get to the sword in the stone in front of one of the parks, and she's like, pull the sword, pull the sword in the stone. And I'm like, I know it's concrete, dude. Like, I'm not going to pull it. She's like, no, do it. It's going to be great. So I do it, and then she tries. And I'm like, you've been here for nine months. I don't understand. And so, you know, we go on the Tower of Terror, which is this, you know, it's kind of like their thrill ride. And she is hooting and hollering at every single jump and every single bump. And I'm just not computing right now. And the, the crown, crown jewel of the day was we go on the ride that she worked at. She worked at a, a ride called the Great Movie Ride, okay? And this ride, she was a tour guide. So for 13 times a day, every day, for the last nine months, she recited a script to every single person that was on this ride. This is what she had done. And we get on this ride, and she is stoked out of her mind. <laughs> and at one point, and she's reciting everything that the tour guide is reciting to us, but like a little quieter and in my ear. And at one, at one point... At one point, it rounds the corner, and the doors open up into the land of Oz, and she recites what the guy is saying, and then she turns to me, and she's like, isn't this amazing? <laughs> and I don't know what I got to kick out of more, like the rides in Epcot and, you know, Walt Disney World or my girlfriend, because you, I would have thought that she would have been so sick of this place. I would have thought she would have been sick of the tourists. She would have been sick of Mickey Mouse. She would have been done with this place. And instead, the way that she felt about this place was she had just 
fallen in love with it even more. Now, I remember becoming a Christian. I was 17 years old. And the very next year, I walked into a school with hundreds and hundreds of Christians. And I remember thinking, I'm going to meet so many people that just love him and that have found the light that I have found for the first time in my life. And I did meet people like that. But then I also met a lot of people who were kind of just going through the motions and who were broken and who were burdened and who had issues. And I remember thinking, I don't understand because I thought that it was for freedom's sake that Christ set you free. And so why aren't these people free? And I thought that Jesus came to relieve burdens. So why are these people burdened? I thought that we love this God. And so why is it just kind of like this going through the motions kind of thing? And I remembered also thinking, well, the reason that they're here, the reason that they're in this school, the reason that they're following Jesus is because at some point they did fall in love with him. At some point he did light up their world, right? Like that's why they're here. And there's a man that we meet in scripture and we talk about him a lot here and his name is David. And he is a man who, when we meet him, is very much in love with the person and with the Father God. And we get to read his journal entries in the book of Psalms. We get to read what his heart is towards God and the way that he thinks about the Lord. And this is one of the things that he penned out. It says, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the richest food. With singing my lips, my mouth will praise you. I have seen God. I have beheld his power and his love is better than life. Some of you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and this is what David is writing about. David was the youngest of eight children, and uh, most of you know this. You know this about him. What's different, though, I think about David's story is a lot of the time the baby is the favored one in the family. You know, you read about Joseph. You know, Joseph in the Miazin Technicolor Dreamcoat. You read about Joseph, and he is the youngest child, and he is the favored child. But when we meet David, he is not the favored child. He is an afterthought. They're all the brothers, and he has grown up in a childhood where he has not been the favored one, where he has not been the one that was sought after. He has not been the one that has been cared for. And when we meet him, he is actually um, in a place, um, like he's in the backyard, right? And Jesse, his father, has Samuel come to their house, and Samuel says, well, I'm about to crown a king. Can you show me all of your sons? And so Jesse does, and he brings up, you know, Samuel, and no, that's his name. He brings up Bob, and he brings up Gary, and he brings up Joe, right? And uh, Samuel has to ask Jesse, he says, is this all, like, he actually has to ask him, is this all your sons? Is this every, everybody in the house? And then Jesse goes, oh, no, you know what? There's David, and he's in the back. This is the kind of environment that David grew up in, and this is the kind of environment where he found the Lord. Not only that, but David spent obtuse amounts of time by himself. He was out in the wilderness, and, and, and 
with only his sheep, with other animals, and with God to keep him company. I picture him like, you know, being like Tom Hanks on Castaway where he has friends, but they're not, you know, they're an inanimate object, like his staff or something, right? And he's in this place, and it is in this void, and it is in this lack where David finds God. And God becomes his strength and his everything. When was the first time that you saw God with your heart? For me, I was 17 years old. And I remember I uh, was asked by a friend to go to church. And so we drive up to this little church in the mountains. And I remember the man preached this story about the pearl of great price, which we know now is the story about the kingdom of God. And the preacher said, he was like, you know, this pearl is worth everything that you possibly could want and everything that you possibly own. And the story goes, you know, if you would give up everything that you would own, if you would give up everything that you would have, you would obtain this pearl. And it's better than life. And something supernaturally happened to me where even though I didn't understand the gospel and couldn't recite it in words, I understood the gospel. And even though I didn't understand the kingdom of God, I understood the kingdom of God. And I went home and I cried for two days. And after that, shortly after that, I raised my hand at a camp and received Jesus for life. When was the first time that you saw God? What was it for you? What was it about him that captured your attention? When did you see God with your heart? Was it a passage of scripture? What is, was it a baptism service? Was it a time where you were listening to a podcast or you cracked open the word and the word came to life? Like when was it for you? Think about that moment for a second. In David's life, for him it was in the wilderness. And then after that, God became even more real to him and even more of a strength to him as he serves Saul. He gets crowned or he gets anointed king, but then he goes to serve the current king. And he spends all of his days and all of his nights with a man named Saul who was very much a mad king who would throw spears at him. And it was in this place that David fell even more in love with God. And he would write about him and he would sing songs about him. And Saul would say, could you play that song again? That's such a beautiful song. And they were all songs written to his God. If God was mountains in Colorado, David was lost exploring them. He was lost. And by all accounts, David's joy should have just increased. It should have just gotten more. David should have just fell in, fallen more in love with God over time. His faith should have increased because 2 Thessalonians says this, we ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing more and what? More. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Second Thessalonians, uh, sorry, I am struggling right now. I just keep botching up some words. Second uh, Thessalonians says that it should just be more. Our faith should increase all of the more. That as we grow in our faith, it shouldn't, we shouldn't go backwards, but that we should um, increase. Scripture says that we must de- decrease, that God must increase, Right? And all throughout scripture, the things that we read are things like we are transformed from glory to glory, like we only move forward. And David, it says, is a man after God's own heart. And so we should picture David about 12 years from now, and he should just be enamored with God even more. But it says this, this is another journal entry he writes. This is years later, and it says this, Psalm 51. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you know what he's saying right there? He's saying I I lost it. I don't have it anymore. I did have it. Could you restore it to me? I know what it was like to be with you. I don't have that joy anymore. Could you bring it back to me, God? I don't feel the feeling anymore. I don't feel the tingles anymore. Could you return to me the joy of my salvation? Some of you are in here and you're saying yes and amen. This is how I feel right now. And I read this and I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait. But this is David. This is a man after God's own heart. This is David. This is the man who writes um, all of the Psalms. This is the only man in scripture who this is said about. And he is saying that he has lost his joy of salvation. And I think to myself, what what happened? And if you read at the top of Psalm 51, it says this, because sometimes they give little notes about the Psalm. And it says, a Psalm of David, When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay, so here's David, and he is in love with God, and he's serving Saul. And then years pass, he gets crowned king, and he becomes a ruling king, and he has some years where he rules out of the strength that God has given him, and he rules out of his relationship with God. And it talks about all of the different wars that David went into and that he won. He would overcome the Amorites and the Philistines and all of these different wars. And for years, David led with the strength of the Lord, and he pursued him, and he had the joy of his salvation. But then the compliments started coming in. They're like, oh, David, you're such a good king. You're so amazing. So good at what you do. Oh, my goodness, David. And, and the riches started mounting up as he would pillage other people groups. And, and, and uh, the, the women started coming in. And all of the earthly pleasures started coming in. And soon David got to a place where he was comfortable. Where he was comfortable, which begs the question for you and for me. Is our faith born in the best places out of place of discomfort? Is our faith best uh, amplified in places where we don't have everything that we want? Because here David has everything that he wants and nothing that he needs. Second Samuel tells us the account of David committing adultery. And it says this, in the spring at the time that kings went off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. And he saw um, from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent a messenger uh, to go get her, and she came to him, and, she, and he slept with her. So we've got David. We've got one picture of David, and he is singing in the wilderness, and he is writing songs, and he is a man after God's own heart. And then we have David in the tower of his castle, a bored and lazy man, bored with his life, lazy in his commission, 
And all of a sudden, he makes the biggest mistake of his life, which leads us to three things about losing the joy of our salvation. The first thing is this, that losing the joy of our salvation is dangerous. That losing the joy of our salvation is dangerous. That after this, David would lose credibility with his family. He would almost lose his kingdom. He would uh, cause another man to lose his life. Losing the joy of our salvation, Red Rocks Young Adults, is dangerous. That number two, losing the joy of our salvation can happen to any of us. David was a man after God's own heart. If it can happen to him, it can happen to us. And number three, that losing the joy of our salvation takes time. It takes time. Walking away from the Lord and everything that he's done for us is not something that happens over a night. It is baby steps and different habits that we develop over time that slowly take us away from the Lord. And so I thought we would learn for the next couple of minutes from David's story about what we can do to restore the joy of our salvation before it's too late. And the first thing is this, baby steps that take us away from God. The first thing is this, avoiding your God-given destiny. Avoiding your God-given destiny. Second Samuel says this, in the spring at time when kings would go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. David was told by God that he was going to be king. This is his call. This is what God has put him on earth to do. This is what God is saying. I, I'm giving you a calling David, and only you can do this. Now go out and lead my people in my strength, lead them into battle, fight the good fight, and don't stop until I tell you to stop. And then we read about David, and for years he leads people into battle, and he does so well. I mean, God gives him favor every single time. And then one day David wakes up, and he says, you know what? I've fought enough battles. I'm good. And so he taps out, and he says, you guys go on ahead, ahead of me. I'm going to stay in the castle, and you go and take the calling that was actually mine. I will talk to 20-somethings all of the time, and I meet them, and I get so excited for what God is doing in them because he is calling them, and he is lighting them up, and he is making them uh, new, and he is giving them a calling. And a couple years will go by and they will be serving and God will instruct them to do X, Y, and Z. And then I'll watch sometimes as 20-somethings at some point decide that, you know, they're tired of trying. They're tired of doing what he has called them to do. They're tired of doing what he has asked them to do. A couple years back, I met a young man. Um, actually not at our ministry, at a church, and I had never met a more talented young man in my entire life. He had more talent than me. He had more talent than anybody I'd ever met, and I knew that God was going to use him to do great things, and he said, Jess, I just feel like I am called into ministry, and I just can't wait, and I said, that is awesome. Like, how can I encourage you? And I watched him over the next couple of years volunteer and give his time and serve and do the things that God had called him to do, and then I remember he met a young lady, and it was cool. They got together, and they started dating, but over time, it was almost like, it, like you could just see his like engine going out. And I'll never, I'll never forget, he called me one day and he said, Jess, I know that the right thing, I love this girl so much, and I know that the right thing is to ask her father and is to take her 
you know, um, and into engagement and for us to spend that time and then for us to get married one day in front of God and in front of our family members. I know that's the right thing to do, but I'm just tired of doing the right thing. And we just really want to get married like really soon. And so I was thinking if you could come down to the courthouse with us, we could just get it taken care of sooner rather than later, because here's the deal. We just really want to be together, Jess. And I remember thinking to myself, dude, <laughs> like you're really going to throw your integrity away right now. You're really going to throw what God has asked you to do away right now because you just can't wait. Like, are you kidding? Galatians says this, it says, let us not become weary of doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know what the opposite of that verse is? It says, if you become weary of doing good, you won't reap a harvest. That's what's that, that's what that's saying. And David is like, I've fought lots of wars. I've been king long enough and I'm done. I'm just going to stay here. Everybody can go out and fight my battle. What is it that God is asking you to do right now in your life and you are avoiding that call? Maybe for you, it's ministering to a coworker, to a family member, and he's calling you and you know it's time to actually speak up. Maybe for you, it's pursuing a degree. Maybe for you, it's pursuing ministry. Maybe he wants you to begin tithing hello and you're like, oh, maybe next week. I hear you. Forever 21. Got my paycheck. I hear you. (laughs) Maybe he's asked you to break up with that guy or that girl. I get that it is difficult. I understand that it is difficult. That is why they say you grow weary doing good because it's tiring to do good. But God says, do not grow weary of doing good for in due time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't avoid your call. It's a baby step away from your joy of your salvation. Number two, a baby step away is to forsake your God-given relationships. It says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. All the king's men, all the, all the whose men? The king's men. All of David's best friends went off to war, and he remained in the castle by himself. Do you know that there was a season, it wasn't too long ago, it was not that long ago, where I remembered looking at my life and I know what God has called me to do and I know the kind of fight that he has called me to fight and I was looking around at my life because I was so busy and I was a mom and a wife and I, you know, I had to keep my house in order and run a ministry and all these different things and I put friends on the back burner. And I was like, I can do life alone for just a little while, I have to because it's too busy, right? That's what we say. And all of a sudden, some red flags started going off in my head where it's like, I better get my friends back around me because they will create safety for me. And some of you are in here and you have made a habit of going to church and doing your faith by yourself. And you show up to, you know, to here or to church on Sundays and then you slip out before anyone knows and you listen to podcasts in your earbuds and no one gets to hear from your heart. 
And here's the deal with that, you guys, is that it's troublesome when you don't know someone. And it's troublesome because, like, they really do need to hear what you have to say. But what's even more troubling about that for you is they don't know you. And so they can't speak into your life. This is what Hebrews says about the people around us. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another that all the, um, and all the more as the day is approaching. What is so dangerous about doing your faith alone is no one knows you. And so no one can spur you on in the ways that you need to be spurred on. No one can call you out when you are taking baby steps away from Jesus and from the joy of your salvation. No one has that place in your life because you don't allow anyone to have that place in your life. Do you really think that David would have made the mistake if he would have had his best friend sitting right next to him? And he would have walked over, probably the same scenario would have happened, he would have been like, oh, she's beautiful. And his best friend would have been like, yeah, she is. You want to go play video games? <laughs> and hear me on this, young adults. If you have a friend right now, ladies, gentlemen, if you have a friend right now who would allow you to make that mistake, you need to get rid of them and tonight. You need to get rid of them and quick because friends are there to keep you safe. Let us spur one another on to righteousness. In Luke 15, it talks about that when a sinner um, has a change of heart, that and not just like towards salvation, but when we're talking with one another and our heart changes, right? We have some godly conversation and our heart changes. It says that the heavens have more joy than we will ever know about. That the heavens just burst into joy. And do you know what happens when we are together and when we share and when we commune and we talk about godly things and we talk about um, how to spur one another on and we talk about the Bible and we share our hearts and what God has done and we share our testimony and what God has done, our joy is compounded. You want a surefire way to lose the joy of your salvation, do your faith alone. Don't forsake meeting with other people. And lastly, and Ben, you guys can come back out here. A baby step away from God is forgetting to return to your salvation. Forgetting to return to your salvation. The question for you and for me is not, is not, will I at some point be tempted or will I at some point turn away from God? That's not the question. The question for you and for me is when I turn, will I be quick to turn back? Will I be quick to turn back? In Hosea, God is describing us, and he is describing us as a people, and the word that he uses for turn in Hosea, the Hebrew word is the word shuv, and it simply means that we turn like this. We actually turn our directions. We turn our sights. We turn the way that we are heading. And God describes his people, you and me, in the Old Testament, and he says, you are turning people. You are turning people. I know you love me. I know you care about me. I know you want to do good things. But here's the thing. You are prone to wander sometimes. 
And he says this word shuv. He says, you are a shuving people. You are a shuving people. And then in Hosea, very gently, he just says, so turn back to me, turning people. Isn't that simple? Shuv back to me, shuving people. That's what he says. Joel puts it this way. It says, this is why the Lord God says, turn to me now while there is still time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. And all throughout the Old Testament and then ultimately in his son, all God is trying to say to you and to me is like, hey, you're human. It's okay. You are going to have times in your life where little pockets of your heart are going to be tempted to turn away. And all I am saying to you is turn back to me, O turning one. Return to me that I may restore the joy of your salvation. He says it all throughout the Old Testament, and I thought I'd read a couple. Second Chronicles 30, it says this, God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face from you when you return to him. Nehemiah 1.9, but if you return to me and you keep my commandments and do them, I will gather you from there and I will bring them to a place I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Job 23 says, if you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove unrighteousness far from your tent. Lamentations 3 says, let us return to the Lord. Hosea 12 says, return to God. And Jesus just says, turn to me. (laughs) Whatever you got, turn to me. And maybe tonight you're dealing with some pockets of jealousy and he's like, that's okay. That messes you up, but that's all right. Will you turn back to me and give it to me? Maybe you've got a cynical heart because you've been in the church for so long or you've been burned by the church, you've been burned by pastors, or you've been, I don't know what your story is, but he says, that's okay. Just give me that cynical heart. Turn back to me. Turn back. Maybe for you, it's, it's some type of mistake that you made in the past that keeps haunting you and you've got a tape on rewind that you just can't get out of. He says, that's okay, just turn back to me. All of us throughout our weeks, throughout our days, throughout our months are going to have times where we just shift away and he says, that's all right, just turn back. Shuv, oh shooting one. Would you guys stand? God says, don't forsake your destiny. Don't Don't avoid your destiny. Don't forsake your friends. Don't leave them behind. You need them because the joy of your salvation is powerful. And lastly, if you feel like you are losing it tonight, if you're like David and you're like, I've lost it. I don't have it. I don't even remember what it felt like when I was 17 and I met you for the first time. God says, that's okay. I will give it back to you. Do you believe that he's that kind of God? And so tonight, all you need to do is just turn back to him. And with every head bowed in here, would you guys tonight, as an act of surrender, just put a hand up in the air, just a surrendered hand in the air to say, God, I just want to turn in just little ways, little pockets of my heart. I want to turn back to you, whether it's jealousy or cynicism or fear or worry Anxiety, God, I just want to turn it back to you. You're the God that handles all my problems. You're the God that handles all my issues. You're my joy. You're my power. You're my strength. And tonight during worship, I am praying, God, Jesus, I pray that you meet them. Just meet them, God. We're here to meet with you. I love you so much. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And let us walk out of here and bring that to the places um, and the people that we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.